and welcome back to this Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and once again, we have our usual cast of characters on the show today, including tech editor Dave Rome in Sydney, Australia, editor-in-chief Kaylee Fretz, and pro mechanic Zach Edwards of the Boulder Gruppetto, both of whom are here in Boulder. How's everyone Hi. keeping up with what's been going Whoa. on on the tour? Well, good bike racing. It's been good bike racing. Uh, I've been enjoying it very much, and... It's this is my first Tour de France. I haven't been at the Tour de France in ten years, so it's a little bit weird not being there. But because uh, you know Americans aren't allowed in Europe at the moment is the problem. We're we're actually <laughs> not really crushing. allowed anywhere. Yeah, but you know I'm making do, and it I, mean, I I get to watch the like full broadcast instead of just driving around France and missing half of it. So it's it's been great. I, I've been enjoying it. You've been riding your bike a lot too. I've been riding my bike some. Yeah, yeah. I was. The timing is not great here this time of year in Colorado. Uh, I don't really want to ride in the afternoon when it's like a thousand degrees outside. So that's that's a me problem. That's not a listener problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. D- Dave, are you even watching the tour? Uh, not a whole lot. I've been catching up on the uh, <laughs> the highlights in the morning, but um, yeah, uh, I, I know who's in the lead, and that's uh, that's good enough for me. Who's in the lead? Well, Ro- Primos. <laughs> pop quiz uh yeah. successfully passed yes. well, well done dave yes and uh I, I i could not tell you however who is currently well actually i think sam bennett's still in green right sam bennett is in green uh i think pogachar took polka dots today yeah Sorry, huh. no more benoit cosnefois was in polka dots prior yeah anyway we're I, not I, here to that, talk about the bike that, race that that's really? way way more than than I know about the, the the bike race right now. Well, anyway, our last episode, I, rather unashamedly, I might add, uh, had absolutely nothing to do with the tour, but we are actually doing a complete 180 this time around, and we're talking about nothing but the tour. But as you can tell, we're not really going to be able to discuss any of the racing, partly because two of the four people on this podcast really haven't been watching it, uh, but more. <laughs> But more to the point, it's you know it's basically just because that's not what we do here at Nerd Alert. But instead, we're going to be talking about all the tech that is being used this year, the new bikes, the weird setups, all the craziness going on with tires, and so on. So I think we should just go ahead and dive on into it. What do you think? Absolutely. And we know that people are interested in the stuff because even though there's lots of racing things to talk about, if I go back and look at the top stories of the Tour de France thus far, at least half of them are tech related so let's let's get into some of the bigger the bigger news pieces from the last couple weeks first one i want to start off with is well uh let me just back up a little bit i mean historically at the tour it's you know the tour is usually well the tour used to be one of the biggest showcases for you know revealing new bikes but now that's not really so much the case i mean a lot of the new stuff that's out we've kind of heard about a little bit already uh there are still a handful of things that popped up though and probably the most Significant one is maybe this new Factor Ostro, which is being used by the Israel Startup Nation team. Uh, Dave, you have the scoop on that, and you actually have the bike in hand right now. I've What's already, I've already given it back. I didn't have it for very long at all. Um, yeah, because they, I actually ended up getting the only test bike out there um, to ride, and it ended up being pre-production, um, and it was a, a good test because. Uh, I told them it was flexier than they told me it was, and they came back and said, oh, yeah, you caught us. You're right. Um, that's pre-production, and we'll be changing that for production. Um, so, yeah, it's a new aero bike that is an all-rounder. So it's basically uh, specifically been designed with Paris-Roubaix in mind, uh, and it's been designed to kind of slot in the middle of Factor's existing range of the O2, which is their climbing bike, and then the... Um, the one which is their uh you know absolutely no compromise uh, sprinters bike so this thing's kind of a, an all-rounder it's got massive tire clearance it's got uh built-in comforts and it's said to be pretty aerodynamic as well but they didn't share any figures in that sense it's kind of like the new cervello caledonia in that way i mean they, they said that bike is basically designed for sunweb at perry Bay, but is certainly quite aero still i mean looks like an aero bike granted looks can be deceiving uh lots of looks aero bikes are not actually aero bikes (laughs) but 
it's Cervello, so we would assume that they at least kind of know what they're doing on that front. For sure. So, yeah, so the Ostro is very much like the, I'd say the Caledonia is the closest competitor, but the Ostro manages to be lighter and probably a bit more narrow in its racing focus, whereas the Caledonia is kind of, you know, it's a race bike designed to hit the masses, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, the the Ostro has been built, you know, it doesn't have like as much thought put into, you know, different stem heights and stack heights and all that. It's it's very much built with performance first and foremost in mind. So do you see a bright future for the Ostro? It's a pretty cool bike. Like it's incredibly light and it's, uh, it's you know, it. I don't know about the aerodynamics. I can't test that. But, you know, if uh, speaking to the, the engineer of it, you know, he's pretty confident that it is fast and he has a history of making fast bikes because he was the former... Um, head of engineering at Cervelo uh, and yeah it, I think it's it's a really cool bike more importantly though I think it's uh, a cool sign of things to come from the industry of you know this this all-rounder where you know the idea of having a lightweight bike and then owning a, an aero bike will will hopefully go away and we'll all just you know have one bike that does everything we're just coming around full circle to the idea that wait you don't need to have nine different road bikes yep. it turns out one can be okay yep. go figures yep just buy a hardtail <laughs> yeah hardtail or drop bars <laughs> so, the one bike to rule them all <laughs> absolutely not. this bike does look sweet though i've only really seen it in the photos from the uh we're taking at the race because it's not really been involved in the bike race seemingly um but it looks good yeah not a whole lot of time spent uh, on the front from Israel Startup Nation this, this particular race, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Uh, they have hired a ton of people, though, to step outside the tech world for a second. They've hired a lot of talent for next year, so I would imagine that we will see more of ISN for next season, not least of which under uh, none other than Chris Froome. So going further down the aero rabbit hole, uh, Canyon has been teasing this new aeroad for... Uh, seemingly forever. Uh, I know like months and months ago, uh, Matthew Vanderpoel was spotted on the new Air Road in a Zwift ad that went live. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was that a mistake. Was, that was like from Worlds last year that the ad came yeah, out. Yeah, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure that was a mistake because that was way, way, way early. Um, and even if this Air Road was originally planned to be launched at the tour, I mean, it's still several weeks out from what we understand. Um, but that bike is, you know, it's certainly a, a sign that Canyon wants to take the Air Road kind of further into the dedicated aero road racing bike whereas the ultimate is now sort of their semi-aero all-rounder kind of like what happened with the tarmac and the venge um and this new aero i mean we don't really have a whole lot of info about it right now they haven't you know they certainly haven't sent any official information out yet so the progression of this canyon is about what we would have expected. Uh, so the the bike is certainly, well, it looks anyway, a lot more aero than it used to. You know, all the tube profiles are way deeper, especially in the down tube and seat tube and seat post. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the seat stays are still dropped. That seemingly is the case with every bike these days. Uh, and the rear wheel is still pretty shielded. Uh, and up front, Canyon has tucked in all of the cables and hoses and wires and whatnot. Uh, directly through the cockpit, which again is another probably expected move given what has been going on with aero bikes everywhere now. Um, otherwise, we don't really know like what it's going to weigh or whether or not Canyon is still going to offer a rim brake version. Um, so we don't really know yet, but I think we're going to find out very, very soon since the bike was raced at the tour. And so generally speaking, you know, bikes that are seen at the tour, if they haven't been released yet, it doesn't take too long after that for that to actually happen. So we'll find out very, very soon and bring you all the details because that bike looks like it's going to be pretty good, based at least based on the performance of the previous version, which was pretty fantastic. Another new bike that was released recently that is uh, that was being used at the tour that we do have information on is this new Merida Reacto 4, which was launched uh, actually kind of back in July. Dave, what what do we have here? Yeah, so I think being launched in July is quite interesting because, uh, you know, traditionally the Tour de France actually does serve as a platform to see a lot of new bikes. And global events changed that this year where a lot of brands just decided, you know, we can't wait for the Tour de France. We actually have these bikes in production. They're now sitting in the warehouses and stuff. So let's just roll them out whenever we were originally going to roll them out. So we've seen that this year with like, you know, the new Tarmac SL7, the new Trekamonda, uh, and this new Merida as well. 
Uh, so, yeah, this new Merida was probably one of the later launches as as the the race, you know, as the the racing season kicked off. And yeah, it's kind of in a sense kind of kind of similar to what factors Ostro try, tries to achieve, which is a bit more of an all round aero bike. So you know they've. They've tried to increase the comfort of the bike while keeping aerodynamics in check. Um, they have gone disc only, which has you know afforded them a few other features such as wide tire clearance. Um, and yeah, it's I don't know. I haven't ridden it. I haven't actually even seen one in person, so there's not a huge amount to tell of it. But uh, you know, Merida's basically followed the other brands in this, and you know, integrated all the cabling. And yeah, it, it looks quite like a clean bike. I mean, one thing that it, you know, this bike and others like it could be signaling as far as a trend is, you know, with all of these all-around bikes popping up now that are pretty aero, maybe not quite as aero as brands like Ultra Aero. <laughs> Wallace, what what are you doing over there? Uh, <laughs> Wallace the shop dog is is really wanting some attention right now. So while you guys are talking about Maritas and things like that, Wallace and I are just hanging out. So if you hear some squeaking in the background, that's what that is. <laughs> all right, K- Kaylee's getting him. Kaylee's getting himself some quality Wallace time here. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, so with all of these kind of more all-purpose, all-round semi-aero bikes that are popping out now that are supposedly pretty darn aero, um, I have to wonder, I mean, we're even seeing this in the pro ranks. We're just not really seeing that much of companies like super, super hyper-aero bikes, at least not as much as we used to. Um, I mean, Zach, do you have any sense as to whether or not teams are simplifying a little bit? I mean, I would think it would make sense logistically to have less bikes, but I mean, usually like, let's say a team, if they have an air bike and a light bike, then your a bike is, you have one of each and then whichever one you're not using on the day that goes on the team car. So now if the bike that the rider is using and the rider on the team car, it's just the same. So, I mean, except for like really bigger riders and they probably get two of each or something, but yeah. For, for me, that question brings up a really interesting element, which I've been hearing more and more lately, which is uh, aerodynamic gains aren't as large as they once were. Um, this is something that Graham Shrive, the creator of the, the Factor Ostro told me, um, and again, you know, former formerly with Cervelo, uh, he was kind of suggesting that pretty much all the good bike, all the good aero bikes on the market these days are like within the tolerance of the best wind tunnels, you know? So he's like, you know, you can test, you could grab like the new Madone or the new, you know, um, an older specialized uh, Venge VIS or, um, you know, Cervelo S5 and you can put them in the wind tunnel one day and the Cervelo S5 will come out on top and then the next day the conditions, you know, the weather conditions change and the wind tunnel then tell you that, you know, it's a different bike that's then on top and it's all within, you know, one percent um so yeah zach i mean that's that's kind of what i've joked about the last few years like if everyone's on an aero bike then no one's on an aero bike right like (laughs) they're all like everyone makes good bikes now like it's not like some teams have a massive advantage to other teams because their bike is that much more aero than the other bike i mean there there are still teams in the tour de france that are not on major big engineering big brand ktm bikes ktm is in the tour de france uh you know the, i don't want to i don't want to you know that's a, that's yeah. a it, all they're the, not massive in the united states all of the bigger they, teams are on but most of the bikes. bigger teams most of the bigger riders are on bikes that that are in that range uh i mean you know colmago is uh currently sitting in second Conago and bianchi Conago and bianchi are currently in <laughs> like first the two of the, at the arguably least technology <laughs> companies out there right now although like the bianchi the latest bianchis i've really really enjoyed uh yeah, they're out of multi-year old design with rim brakes true it's been a little while since they were updated but they're good they're good bikes but still but yeah. still i'm just saying that there, there is still there's still a bit of there's a bit of difference between bike brands still uh, i do think that 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 gap is shrinking and with, that's why we we sort of we see teams looking to lots of other places to try to find a bit of an advantage, and maybe maybe that's a good segue into tires again. And we, Funny you should mention that because that's exactly what I was going to switch over to you. <laughs> because you know, just as Dave said, I mean, aerodynamics was once you know really not that long ago this place to make really big easy gains, and now that most teams are on pretty similar playing fields, they are paying attention to 
other places. I mean, this is kind of echoing what is going on in the consumer market as well. I mean, rolling resistance has been a big, big topic over the last few years. And we're seeing all sorts of craziness with tires. I mean, tubulars used to be just the absolute default choice. I mean, everyone just ran tubulars. Um, and now we are seeing, you know, more tubeless setups. We're seeing clinchers with tubes. And what? Uh, I know, I know. And, team and tube potentially inside. even Team Tube Inside. Team Tube Inside. <laughs> Andy, where are our t-shirts? Um, and and we're even seeing potentially tubeless tires with foam inserts and no sealant, maybe. Um, so this I think I think it's Dakota Quick Step that is having the most success right now with a non-tubular setup. So, do we know how many stages they've now won supposedly on clinchers with tubes? Three, it's been well, at least two. I think they, they're claiming been, three. Yeah, but they've been—they're claiming three, but I think they've been moving back and forth because, like, I've seen riders on. I'd have to actually go back and look at photos of each one because they have been moving back to tubulars on occasion. Uh, Ala Philippe won that stage on clinchers, which Specialized claimed was the first ever tubed clincher victory at the store lies. Was not. lies lies uh we went back and we dug up at least one instance and possibly more from uh i think it was 1992 there's also another possible instance so ahead of the game back then uh michelin highlights back in the day uh were found under riders like uh like claudio chiapucci who won a couple stages that year so not the first time, but nonetheless, clinchers did disappear for quite a while within the pro ranks. I mean, there was there were years and years and years that I went to the Tour de France, you know, from probably well, 2010 until this year that that you'd go and you know, maybe you'd see a clincher or a tubeless tire at a time trial, but that was pretty much it. And, and this year, yeah, I mean, well, part of it's the fact that uh those new Roval wheels won't take tubeless. And so the team doesn't really have any option but to go to clinchers with latex tubes. But still, you know, they're, they're, they're finding success there and they are, they're racing and winning on, on, you know, S-Works turbo cotton clincher tires with tubes in them. Yeah, so the the word that I got, you know, we were just talking that, that, that these different setups offer performance advantages. So tubulars are often thought of as, you know, we know that they're really light, they ride really well, um, but they don't actually, they don't actually always roll very fast. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, they're not always like, they're just not as round as good clincher tires. And you also do get some energy loss just from that layer of glue between the tire and the rim. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of like, even if you make it pretty thin, it's still a pretty gooey layer that just sucks up a lot of energy. And granted this is a pretty big number i don't know how much i believe this but the 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 quote that i got from someone who is in the industry who would prefer not to be named he was saying that you could get six to ten watts of gain over a good tubular setup which i mean even if that's close even if that's you know even if that's twice as good as what it really is in reality i can't think of too many teams that are going to willingly pass that up if you can just you know if you can get a handful of watts for basically doing nothing aside from switching your wheels and tires and that's a that's a big number for them. Yeah, I I, I don't know, I, I do question that number. You know, all those things are it compare it depends what you're comparing it to, right? You know, if you're comparing it to a less than optimal to or tubular setup, then yeah, maybe. I've I kind of doubt that it's that big. I feel if it was that big, you know, we we've had both of these technologies for quite some time and the ability to do rolling resistance testing. I don't think this is the first time we would have been hearing about that if that was actually the case. But I do believe that there's probably some gain there. And as you say, even if the gain is two watts or three watts or one watt, they're still going to they're going to weigh that up and say that might be worth it. Because, yeah, the, the only the sort of the biggest argument, we've said this a million times, but the biggest argument for tubulars is just that you can ride them flat. And it's a little bit of a safety argument, not a, necessarily a performance argument. And yes, flats happen. And actually, Philippe has had a. a surprising number of mechanicals this particular tour de france he seems to be uh having issues quite often although i think some of those issues are actually just uh his legs not doing so great so no surprise the teams are running clinchers more and more often so if if the downside to clinchers and tubeless is that when you get a flat which happens pretty regularly that your tire might fall off the rim and you can't ride it back Instead of focusing on making clinchers the fastest and like using them with that downside, why 
why not try and improve the rolling resistance of tubulars? This is probably because the companies that make tubulars can't sell that many of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my guess. But, then, no, but we're no about performance here, though. Yeah. Yeah, but so, like the industry if you tell a bunch of master bros that they can save eight watts by using a fast tubular wheel set, they will buy them. <laughs> but still, like, like, True. like, what percentage of the what percentage of the market is masters bros? You know, like it's just I don't know. You know it's over, quite a lot. Grand, but the, so what? What percentage of, of the market? Paid. What percentage of the market wants road tubeless? Yet every wheel that comes out is a tubeless rim. Well, but the thing is, every wheel that comes out is a tubeless compatible rim. But that doesn't mean that you have to run a tubeless. That's the thing. Yeah, but it's more of a pain to get a tire on and off, and not everyone wants that. Not I have people that I have people that seek out older wheels so that they can get a tire on and off because they don't want to deal with that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, and we've talked about this already before, but you know, I we are it, it is definitely a big hope that this new tubeless industry-wide standard that is coming out will fix a lot of that because a lot of these issues are with, you know, you have a, a rim that is on the bigger side and then a tire that's on the smaller side and then that combination is really just not good at all. Um, but with this new tire bed shape that's coming out um, and then with a little bit more control with tire sizes, hopefully, then, you know, ideally a lot of that stuff will go away. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm more of like, I personally am a fan of tubulars. And if you can have a tubular wheel set that's lighter than the equivalent tubeless or clincher, why can we not focus on trying to make that also have less rolling resistance? Like whether it's a different glue of some sort or a different tire rim interface. I mean, isn't it like like boat shellac or something like that? Is, is yeah, they used, use that on the track. Yeah, yeah, is is used to to decrease rolling resistance. And I, I think, I mean, yeah, fundamentally the problem is like there has to be somebody doing that development. That development is not cheap, and so you have to have an incentive to do it. And like. I mean, specialized is proof here. The biggest, the biggest piece of this story is not necessarily that I think the, that they went looking for the fastest possible wheel design. It's that they went for the looking for the fastest possible wheel design that they could also sell to lots and lots of people because this is still a for-profit bicycle company that needs to sell stuff to people, and they've ended up with this. Well, now clincher with tubes, previously tubeless option. Uh, I know that sounds maybe a bit cynical, but it's also just sort of reality. It's like they're going to put a bunch of engineer time into developing a tire and and a rim and all these other things. And I just, at this point, I don't, I'm sure they've done the math and, and they're looking at it and saying tubulars are just not, that's that's not really going to work. And, 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 and it's, it's interesting because the Tour de France and pro racing for a long time was is sort of viewed as this like testing ground for stuff that would trickle down to consumers. And now it tends to go the opposite direction, right? Like the consumers are kind of driving a lot of the trends here. Consumers were on wide tires before the pros were. Consumers were on tubeless before the pros were. Consumers were certainly on clinchers before, <laughs> before the pros were racing on them. And it, it, everything's kind of switched around now. And yeah, it's a function of like what the industry is going to put its money into, really. Yeah, I just think it's I think it's telling that like both Quickstep or Bora or whomever are on tubulars instead of the clinchers on stages where maybe the team cars aren't going to be right there, or there's maybe some weather or any of these things, and they're on they're on the older tubular wheels. Yeah, which are which are if you believe specialized, not as fast aerodynamically and roll slower. I guess ultimately the issue here is while while the teams and their sponsors still want to win um still what they want well now what they want more than ever is to win but also ideally to win on stuff that they can actually market effectively to consumers um and you know we certainly are at that at that stage now where i feel like you know zach like you were saying i mean even if they could I'm sure they could make tubulars faster, but again, like it's just, there's just no business case to be made for it. Yeah. I guess I feel like, I mean, obviously like the molds and the engineering all cost money, but like, let's say a team in the tour is riding zip wheels and they're all on tubulars. Consumers see that big flashy zip logo and they go buy themselves some zip clinchers. Like it's not, people aren't like, Oh, I'm not going to buy those. Cause they're not racing the exact ones that I would ride. Like it's a brand thing. Roval could have Roval wheels in the tour and they're all tubulars. Customers will still buy the clinchers because they're easier to deal with yeah it's it's more it's more of a marketing system like kind of more in line with auto racing for example right you can't you can't go buy an f1 car in, fa in fact you can't buy literally any piece of an f1 car <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> maybe, some, like, maybe no, some none bolts. of it 
maybe, maybe some bolts. bolts. Maybe yeah. you can maybe go buy some F1 bolts. Uh, you know, a, a, a single strip of carbon that they use somewhere. I don't know what you could buy, but anyway. The, but the whole idea is them saying like, "Hey, look, we we make this car go real fast and is real good." And so obviously the other cars that that you buy, your G wagon, Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> it's going so why, to be, why are going bikes? To be good as why well. are bikes different? Like why can't Specialized be like this is our super bike that our pro team races? Well, I think and then that, that comes technology back, trickles down. I think that comes back to like where the where the UCI regulations are. If the UCI regulations allowed for sort of experimentation beyond what the average consumer would actually want to ride, then then that then we might see different bikes. Plus, frankly, like what we do on our daily rides is closer to the Tour de France than what we do in our daily drives is to Formula One, right? Yeah, like yeah. that gap is just sort of too too massive. Whereas you know we we like to pretend we Zach and I we go out we we smash. pound each other in the face and <laughs> smash each other in the morning ride and we're like you know totally full on Roglic Pogacar exactly mono the same a mono thing. it's exactly the same thing minus like pro- approximately 200 watts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is a silly argument but back on the revolves so revolve clx tubulars that have been out the last few years came stock with ceramic speed bearings they no longer come stock with ceramic speed bearings so in one wheel you have ceramic bearings with tubulars the tires are slower but the bearings are faster and the new wheels have normal bearings so you have less speed there but you gain it in the tires is it just even and now it doesn't matter well the in, in the pro in the pro sense uh like quick step was sponsored by ceramic speed so they'd definitely be fitting their wheels with ceramic speed bearings even though the production version doesn't come with them so but for yeah. us it'd be yeah it'd be a wash right unless you want to go spend 600 dollars on new bearings for your wheels which sounds like a really really good you know watt per dollar savings there yeah one one thing yeah. one thing on this topic that i wanted to mention is that you know, tubulars have been around a very, very long time. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that brands have tried to improve the performance of tubulars over the last many decades. And we're at a point now where it's not just specialized saying this. It's like, you know, you've got Schwalbe, Continental, and even Victoria, uh, Victoria are all claiming that their tubeless or clincher tires are faster than what they can produce in a tubular. Um, and then to add to that argument, you've got disc brakes, which are now bringing this new, you know, this new trend in ultra-wide rims. And I can't help but think that if you made a tubular in that same ultra-wide design, that there'd probably be, you know, additional weight gain there compared to, you know, or the the gap between, you know, the previous gap between tubular and clincher weights is is just no longer there if you were to create a tubular wheel out of this ultra-wide design. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, there'd be more like base tape. Yeah, I mean, I've, right. I mean, well, Envy, well, Envy makes the the four or five. I think it's the four or five, the AR. They do that in a tubular, and I've built some of those and glued some thirty mil road tires on it, and they were freaking sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think probably are still lighter than the equivalent tubeless. Like, yeah, there's I mean, just so I, much less material on the rim, right? I I have a set of NVCX tubulars here um, that actually we had seen under the riders of. Wait, that's like a 280 uh, gram rim or something stupid. Yeah, it's wicked, wicked, wicked light. And if you look at what Envy offers currently in their uh, in their uh, tubular road rim range or road wheel range, I mean that that CX is the lightest lightest tubular wheel they have right now. So it's really it really hasn't been a surprise to see that it's occasionally been popping up under the I think it's Dimension Data that they sponsor. Um yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, NTT. But so it's 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 occasionally been popped popping up under those riders and basically just because they're lighter. It's an amazingly good wheel. And I've been running them a little bit with um you know Challenge had sent to me a while ago some I think they were like prototype or pre-production or something. They were I think they're 30 mil file treads that basically are meant you know, for dirt roads and a little bit of gravel, that sort of thing. And it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I but feel like I, you could probably build those into a sub thousand gram wheel set. You probably could if you're really careful. But that said, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's an aerodynamic story to be told there. I mean, I think, I mean, if, if you were to make a wheel that wide, I mean, I, I guess the tubular, the tubular rim would have to be almost even wider because that CX is still not quite wide enough to handle a tire that big aerodynamically. I think you still get a little bit of that like ice cream cone light bulb effect, I think. Um, so I think the weight story is there. But I mean, again, like for, for these riders, if they want to just go lighter, they're still going to be running tubulars with 
pretty narrow tubular tires. Like they're still going to be running like 25s. Um, but again, like, is that really like a, is that a real world case that we'd ever actually see adopted, you know, even in remote, in, in any kind of remote volume at the, at the consumer level? I don't think so. No, probably not. And cyclocross was peaking. Everyone had tubulars. Yeah. But I mean, and even now, I mean, tubeless has gotten, crosses over, crosses over. Um, but, uh, and like, you know, when, when I was still racing a bunch of, uh, when I was still racing a bunch of cyclocross, I mean, I definitely was on tubulars for a long time for, you know, that exact reason. They were lighter and you can run them at lower pressures and all that stuff. Um, but in my last couple of seasons, I switched over to tubeless because I found a setup that worked really well. And I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And I think it's gotten to the point now where, you know, we don't, people don't worry quite as much now. I mean, the, you know, the tire and rim fitments have gotten so tight that, you know, you don't really have to worry as much about the tire rolling off the rim for a good tubeless setup as well, not as much as you used to anyway. Um, and like in cyclocross, I definitely know that there are a lot more people running tubeless than there used to be. And it's just a convenience thing. Like instead of having, you know, one dedicated wheel set for every tread design that you wanted to run, if it's like a muddy day or dry day or whatever, now you just have a separate set of tires that you slap on your same set of wheels. Definitely easier. Team tube inside is also team team tubular. Yeah, I I love tubulars, and I think it's very sad that they're disappearing. <laughs> well, Zach, Zach is just it, very if you he's small tears over here. <laughs> well, Zach, if you if you love road tubulars, I may have a few that I can hand off to you that I am never ever <laughs> ever, ever going to use. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you'll pick up on that. <laughs> one other one other point I wanted to make on the tubeless thing is. You know, you know, Kaylee, you're definitely right, you know, 100%. That the reason why tubulars has last, the reason why tubulars have lasted this long in that world is because of the safety thing, just the fact that they're glued onto the rim. Um, but with the way tubeless tires now fit on tubeless rims, you don't really worry. Like it used to be the case that when you went flat on a clincher, that tire was basically going to fall off the rim immediately. And now with the way tubeless tires fit on tubeless rims, and arguably even a lot of uh, regular tube type clinchers the way those fit on tubeless rims that interface is so much more secure than it used to be that you can i mean it's definitely still not as good as a tubular when ridden flat but it's not like the tires get to immediately fall off the rim like it used to true yeah but i still want to ride it <laughs> no well yeah i mean yeah i guess you know if you're in the middle of tour de france yeah you're just gonna you're gonna roll it if you have to but i mean like zach said there's a reason why we've seen Dakota go back to tubulars for tricky stages, right? Like if the, if the stage is going to be big and wide and they know they can get a team car up pretty quickly, that's one thing. But like on stages like today where you are going up and down all day and there's, there's 27 different groups out on the road, you don't have 27 team cars. So, you know, you, you've got a team car behind probably whoever your leader is and you've got one pretty far back. So if, if anybody in the middle there is basically just waiting for the Gruppetto and then waiting through the Gruppetto because then there's 20 something cars behind the Gruppetto waiting for each rider. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no question that the ability to just sort of like ride for two or three kilometers on, on a rim is is still a good thing. And we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that because they go back to tubulars on those particular days. But that said, the days that like Julian Alaphilippe is trying to win the bike race, he's gone back to clinchers. And and frankly, like if he, if he didn't believe that that was a better thing for him, he wouldn't do it, right? The, the, some of these big names... You know, I think that a lot of people out there just think that, oh, well, the, the riders just have to, they have to ride whatever they're given. Yes, that's true to an extent, but if you are a big enough name in this sport, that is not true. You can ride pretty much whatever you want. I mean, you're not going to like change frames or something like that, right? But certainly within a, a brand's range, you can pick and choose what you want. You can even sometimes ride some stuff that's sort of unlabeled. Uh, and so, you know, if Alphilippe didn't think that that stuff worked, then he wouldn't run it. And I, I assume that they've shown him the numbers, and he, he's a he's a believer, an Allah believer. <laughs> and as a result, he's jumped on clinchers. So I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more of him in the next couple of years. Uh, on that note, I also I also think it's still as crazy as it sounds. It's early days for the tech. So you know, as brands decide to narrow their focus and go, okay, we're all in on tubeless or we're all in on clincher. Let's just create the best racing product we can out of this i think they're going to solve the issues of you know like the can it be ridden on when it's flat and you know th these things are only going to get lighter they're only going to get faster 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, money dictates. I think Tubular is just going to stay where it is. They're done. Yeah. They're, I, I think they're going to continue to decline. But yeah. sad. Speaking of, yeah. The track. Yeah. I mean, the track will save us. Single tier. <laughs> track True. always has the best. Threaded <laughs> bottom brackets. Speaking of square taper bottom brackets. Yeah. Square taper. <laughs> Uh, Octolink. Octolink, sorry. <laughs> Speaking of development, um, did anyone spot the new wheels from Shimano in use? Sunweb. Mm. I did. They sneaky look like Duray's hubs laced to generic China rims. I'm sure that's not what they are, but that's what they look like. Yeah. I I have been keeping an eye out for new Duray's because the timing is right. We know it's got to be coming soon. We haven't seen anything. Mm-hmm. But I am keeping an eye out. Yep. Uh, right. FTG, it looks like the team that uh, that will that will get it first. It has over the last couple cycles, they've been getting it first. My favorite is AG2R still running external junction box on their stem. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, not so, on uh, new Duris. I, I haven't seen any new group sets in use, but I would say that those wheels are probably perhaps part of the group to come. Yeah. Or at least the rim, probably because Shimano hubs are notorious for not being able to swap out free up bodies. And if their new stuff uses a new free up body. Right, which would suggest, yeah, like you said, it suggests that there's a new free hub body, which then suggests that there is a new uh, a new cassette design, which would suggest that it's no longer 11 speed. Yeah, probably similar to micro spline. 12 speed. For the mountain bike. The big question for me on new Dura, so we're going a bit, a bit of a tangent here, is whether it is partially wireless. I we keep hearing this. I've, I've heard, heard this rumors. from a couple of different places. Yeah, I've heard rumors yeah. that it does involve a battery uh, for the, uh, the. It does involve a battery for where a battery currently exists with the i two is what I heard. But that's not to say that it is still partially wireless. Wait, what? The, wait, wait, so it, it still has a battery? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, it has. Things, think, of, think of FSA, right? So FSA puts a battery that then the two derailers share, and then the shifters are wireless, and they communicate wirelessly to the derailers or to the front right. derailers. Um, I feel like just either go all wireless or go no wireless. Don't don't go halfway. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. The halfway is kind of is kind of neat because then you you know you have one reliable battery that connects you to derailers, and then you don't have any of the faff to connect it up to the handlebars. Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't know if that's if there's any credit to that rumor, but uh, that is what I heard. Mm, I mean, hopefully, I, I, find out sooner than later. Yes, I feel. I feel like. I mean, just uh, one last note on this before we move on. I feel like as much as Shimano was very, very much in support of a wired system, and I like wires. I like wires for a lot of reasons too. But um, I think now SRAM has made it very clear, and I think they've proven that wireless can work really well like all the all the you know gloom and doom naysayers that people you know that were around saying initially that um can you know, hack it wireless yeah like people <laughs> like other teams were gonna hack it and it was gonna fail all over the place like it just it just hasn't happened and if it was going to happen it would have happened by now so i think at this point um sram did a good job of you know testing the thing like crazy and making sure that it worked because we have not heard of any uh you know certainly no widespread wireless failures or anything um, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, like I said, keep an eye out for that. If any listeners out there spot something that looks weird, send it to us because um, we're, we're keeping an eye out. Yeah. Speaking of SRAM, though, uh, new gearing. Should we talk about some of the gearing ratios that are being used in the 1030. Tool? New 1030 cassette. Oh. Yeah, we should, definitely, we should definitely talk about all that. So have at it, Dave. All right. So, yeah, I mean, as Zach just said, we've got a, a 1030 cassette being used by some of the teams, which is different to the existing production options, which are, you know, the, currently the, the options are 10 to 28, and then it jumps to 10 to 33. Uh, so, yeah, 10 to 30 sits somewhere in the middle. Um, and not to upset SRAM too much on this, but it's basically an 11 to 30 cassette the way they run it. Kaylee? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, answer the how first. Why is it 11 to 30? Uh, because in some cases, I believe that the teams are locking out the 10 tooth, so the derailleur won't actually even shift into it. Or if it does shift into it, the, the riders just don't use it, uh, and they keep the ratios a little bit tighter, and they're basically just running the 12-speed group set effectively as an 11-speed group set. Yeah, and they're running bigger than production chain rings as well. Right, they're running a 54... 
30. The biggest production is a 5037. And a 5011 is not a very hard year, but they're running, yeah, I think 52 to 54 big chain rings. Yeah. So they basically set up their new smaller geared 12 speed group sets as older 11 speed group sets. Yeah. We've talked a bit about this before, but like, I think that fundamentally comes down to sort of the speeds that they're talking about are just so different from the speeds that we ride at, you know, like I get back for most rides here in the mountains and my average speed is like, I don't know, 23 kilometers an hour or something like that. Like what's that? Like low, low teens, right? Because we're riding the mountains, you go up and down mountains all day. When they ride in the mountains and go up and down mountains all day, their average speed is like 40 kilometers an hour. It's, yeah. it's a totally different thing. And then when they ride flats, like, for example, the, the two hours of flat ahead of the Grand Columbia on Sunday, they averaged 28 miles an hour for that whole two hours and and at like 200 watts, right? Because you're in a big Peloton. So the, the, just the, the, the speeds are just totally different from what most amateurs are ever experiencing. And frankly the gear ratios as a result that SRAM first released with the 12 speed groups just didn't really work for, for pro teams. They just flat out didn't work. And I'm glad that they are expanding some of those options. I think it's kind of funny that they're blocking off the 10 tooth. Just, yeah. I don't see the point of blocking off. Just leave it there in case you want to use it for pedaling downhill or something like that. SRAM has very adamantly denied just for the record. SRAM has very adamantly denied that the teams are locking out the 10. So funny, this was a couple months ago on Instagram on SRAM, whatever their, I think, SRAM Road account. Someone was asking about the gearing in the comments, and whoever runs their uh, Instagram account commented back that the 10 on the SRAM 12-speed access group sets is for race situations like the classics. When you want to pass in the gutter, you put it in the 10, and you go, that's your smash, smash gear, because you go 45 miles an hour up the side of the cobbles <laughs> <laughs> the 10 is just so particularly if you're running a 54 big ring the t- a 54 10 you could literally pedal at like 60 miles an hour yeah. like like a normal cadence at 60 miles an hour it's just way overkill i will say i will say i will say uh kudos to the group sets nice for this 10 30 cassette because that is fantastic given the fact that they downsized the front chain rings 1030 is actually great like i was most recently riding uh the whatever the 1033 on a test bike and that jump jump at the end is so massive like we're, we're riding flagstaff here and i would i was either just spinning my brains out or one shift later like felt like i was just smashing gears right like it just was not it was too big of a jump for I think for most people, unless you're like trying to climb up walls on your gravel bike or something like that. So it's a much better kind of road road gear range, I think. Well, Kayla, you, you clearly need to ride up climbs more like I do and just put in your easiest gear and just, you know, just, <laughs> just smash as Remember much as Remember, though, you we're trying can, to be like like and Pogachar. That's how we ride. <laughs> right, right, right. Who, well, who, who's who? Who's who? I wonder. Wait, what? Who's who? Who's, who's Roglic? Oh, Pogachar and Roglic? Yeah. I don't know. Depends who wins the tournament. Because yeah. <laughs> okay. I usually win. That's <laughs> true. Fair enough. I, I guess I'm Roglic. Yeah. Plus, I'm a little oh. bit older than Zach. So, hmm. oh, like okay. six months. Yeah. Not quite All like right. seven years or whatever those two are. All right. Moving on, the other big piece of tech happenings going on at the tour. And we talked about this already, but it's still worth talking about again because the, the developments continue to come. Rim brakes mm. at the tour. What? So, I, I mean, Dave, Dave, are you keeping a track of how many stages now have been won on rim brakes? I haven't been counting, um, but, you know, it wouldn't take too long scrolling through Instagram to, to be told. <laughs> well, the latest one was Mark Hirschi. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Mark, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your, your name correctly. I believe. Mark. On the Sunweb team, he uh, he won stage fourteen on a rim brake Cervelo R five. I think I believe it was an R five. Mm-hmm. That Cervelo doesn't actually even make anymore, so that frame was probably from the team's supply from last year. Um, Ineos has always been on rim brakes, and Yumbo Visma has won a bunch of key stages on rim brakes this year. And you know, all this time we have been talking about disc brake bikes, and you know the progressions that have been going on there. Bikes getting lighter, so on and so forth. And we still have all these riders who are winning on rim brakes. 
Yep. Does it matter? Does it mean anything? It, like at that level, no. Those dudes can win on anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this goes back to the conversation we're having about tires, which is it's market pressure, right? So, you know, at a pro level, those guys can descend amazingly well and can control rim brakes to a level that doesn't really slow them down all that much. And then, you know, you, they get a lighter bike. Uh, but, you know, for what's best for the consumer is not always the same as what's best for pro racing. And, you know, we're, in, we're coming to a, a time where all the development and all the progression in cycling is pushing disc brakes forward and rim brake bikes are kind of just staying stagnant as a result. Um, but right now, you know, the pro teams, they have, they still have the choice. And, you know, I think someone like Sunweb is a perfect example of where the choice is provided. They're still mixing and matching for where it makes the most sense. So, you know, their aero bike is disc specific, but then they have access to rim brake bikes for where weight matters. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was always the plan for them for this year. I was told that back at Twitter Under that they'd be mixing and matching and yeah, they're just taking advantage of what they currently have on offer. You have to wonder how much longer that's going to continue though, because mm -hmm. with all the development being focused slowly on disc brakes, I mean, eventually these rim brake bikes are just not going to be available. Nope. It's just not going to be an option. Yep. So. I mean, I do think that it's, like the marketing you would tell you otherwise but like the rim brake bike that you have at home in your garage is still a really good bike and it still works really well like obviously it can be ridden to a high level where the marketing's like that's a piece of garbage like you need disc brakes you need aero all of this thing like your bike with rim brakes is still totally fine you don't need to like rush out to buy a new one i'm sure that's not what the companies want to hear but like yeah so but yeah i mean yeah it just goes back to we're talking about professional riders who you know they can descend at 100 kilometers plus and still corner perfectly well with rim brakes whereas i know there are uh you know recreational riders out there that have great skills <laughs> but for the most of them they can indeed benefit from the increased control of disc brakes who is the was it zacharin the other day he could have benefited from some more disc brake action yes i don't know if you watched his descent but it was pretty terrible oh really you mm. might have I think he might have actually been on disc actually oh. on CCC. It was it had to have been the most embarrassing moment in his career. <laughs> Dave, you wrote an article quite a while ago that talked about sort of the, the the future of road bike technology, kind of specifically in racing and at at the tour. Um, and you were talking with Josh Portner from Silka about a lot of this. And I can't remember now. Were, were disc brakes were disc brakes part of that conversation? Yeah, they absolutely were. Uh, not from Josh Portner, but from mm, dare I say Damon Reinhard, maybe from Cannondale. But um, yeah, it's uh, it was a little while ago that I wrote that. But yeah, certainly the prediction was within five years that no team will be will still be on rim brakes. Um, and you know, at the time of writing that, that seemed pretty bold. But now, when you look at the when you look at the the world tour at least um you know there's not i'd say rim brakes are now in the minority of things as far as teams actually using them um you know they're not in the minority of of races being won but they are in a minority in actual you know numbers of the peloton well and zach it's kind of like what you were saying before it's like you know when everyone's on on an aero bike then no one's on an aero bike and when we get to the point where rim brake bikes are really no longer available at that high level then at that point, there is going to be no weight advantage or disadvantage because everyone's going to be on the same weight. Yeah, I mean, that's the advantage. companies, the teams all running rim brakes right now are the teams that are on bikes that are like they're heavy. arguably more more traditional, less progressive companies that are like the Pinarellas, the Beyond. I mean, they're all Italian, coincidence. <laughs> like, well, I mean, not, not Sunweb not, again. But yeah, not sun, Sunweb. But otherwise, for the most part, they're companies that are, their bikes are just heavy. So they're using rim brakes to save weight, not because they think it's a performance yeah. benefit. And, and speaking of that weight, that, that article that I wrote a couple of years ago actually did speculate that the whole disc brake movement actually relies on the UCI's 6.8 kilogram weight limit remaining in place. If that right, weight like if they had lowered that drop, a few years ago. Yep. So, you know, even today, if, they, if the UCI came out, and I honestly, I do not believe this will happen because it would be very bad for business for the bike brands involved. Um, but if the UCI came out and said, you know, the weight limit's now 5.5 and all you have to do is get all the parts certified by the UCI for safety and then you can ride a 5.5 kilogram bike, I believe we will see a big return of rim brakes. 
But I don't believe the UCI will lower its weight limit because the brands do not want that to happen. Yeah, I mean, they were talking about lowering it a few years ago, but it didn't, didn't ever happen. I mean, they've been talking about it for ages. They've, yeah. they've been talking about revising that number. Almost I mean, it was more of like a few years ago when every company's top-end road bike came out of the box less than the limit. Like It seemed right. like there were more serious conversations about it. Right, which is harder to do now with disc brakes, with the brakes themselves being heavier and the wheels being heavier. You know, the frames basically are, you know, they sort of, they, they pretty much achieved parity, at least from the higher end brands that have some more development money. You know, th those bikes, you know, those frames and forks are generally as light and occasionally lighter than their rim brake counterparts, but it may also be because those frames are just newer and there's just not a whole lot of rim brake bike development going on anymore. Yeah, so in the, yeah, I guess to summarize this, it's, you know, it's market pressure and just like clinches and tub tubeless and tubular debate um you know the, the skeptic uh, point of view is that disc brakes are progressing and rim brakes are standing in one spot yeah i mean there's no arguing that disc brakes perform better like you can't can't argue that oh i can think of a few people who would argue that i mean i still as i'm saying that as someone that rides rim brakes yeah like on my road bike and as as is kaylee because i'm sitting in front of his bike here and he's got rim brakes front and rear <laughs> And my yeah. personal road bike is rim brakes, and I'm perfectly happy with it. But yeah, I also yeah, like I ride rim brakes. Superior. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't you can't argue that rim brakes are better. Like you can argue that they look better or more traditional or whatever, but they don't perform better for sure. All right, I want to do a little thought experiment here before before we tie this whole thing off. Let's just say, let's just say that the UCI does change that weight limit even a little bit. Like let's say, you know, going from six point eight kilos down to like even 6.5 or 6.3 something like that they're all on rim brakes tomorrow and tubulars because you can't ride rim brakes and well. clinchers because carbon clinchers don't work yes yes or it's not so much that they don't work it's just more yeah. that they are kind of sketchy yeah they overheat very easily with the brakes so yeah i mean do so if things went if, if something happened with the uci weight limit Teams would definitely immediately, I feel like, go back to rim brakes, as you said, Zach. I think that would be very much the short-term gain, no question, or the short-term the short -term change. But, you know, we are already seeing a lot of efforts being paid to, uh, to companies trying to make the disc brake stuff lighter. Like, would that just accelerate that change then, or would it sort of just stagnate the disc brake thing now because everyone's gone back to rim brakes at that point? I think it'd be the same as like right now, the, the companies that are more progressive would definitely still push the, the disc brake, like the specialized, like they'd be like, well, here's our tarmac. We're going to swap out a couple parts on it. And now it's under the limit. Like, and it still has disc brakes where like the Bianchi or Colnago, of course they're going to go rim brakes. Yeah. If they, it, well, like, so I did some reporting on this a couple years ago and granted, uh, this was during the Brian Cookson administration of the UCI and like three or four technical coordinators ago because the UCI seems to go through them quite quickly. <laughs> but the discussion at that point was to drop it to six. Uh, and in fact, there was a proposal on the table to drop it to six and, and it was like sort of close to happening. That clearly didn't happen. And then we had a change of leadership at the UCI and a change of technical coordinator and et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I, I don't believe that's still really on the table. The other thing that was mentioned to me was essentially an increase in the uh, stringency of various safety tests because originally the 6.8 kilogram weight limit was based off of safety concerns. I mean, you have to remember that this thing was started a, well, a couple decades ago um, back when a 6.8 kilogram bike was potentially dangerous. And the reality is today it's not. It's not even close to a legitimate safety concern. And you could just straight up drop the limit to six watts per kilo. Or six watts. Six watts. No watts. You could just drop the six limit kilo. to six kilos pretty easily. And I 100% agree that that would basically eliminate disc brakes overnight. I think that you maybe would end up with you'd maybe end up with, you know, sprinters still on like aero disc bikes just because they were already made. But the reality here is that the only way I see that really happening is if the industry was, was really pushing for it and the industry is not pushing for it because what, what incentive do they have to push for it at this point? They would very much now, push against it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They would 100% push against it because if they went back to, I mean, that's the kind of thing that would, you know, we were talking about 
like the F1 car, consumer car kind of analogy before, that's the kind of thing that could potentially have like premier pro race bikes and consumer bikes truly diverge, right? Because like for the vast majority of normal people's riding, disc brakes are still generally better. And if their weight limit was down to six kilograms in the pro ranks, then a rim brake bike in a lot of ways would probably be better. So I, yeah, it, it could be it could be a source of, of divergence there, and, and as a result, I don't I don't think the industry wants that that divergence, and so they were, would not push for it, which means the UCI will not do it. The only thing that I could potentially see is just a, a sort of wholesale rewrite of technical regulations at some point that could potentially come with some ramifications, some similar ramifications. No, I mean Kaylee. Kaylee basically said what I was thinking and wanted to say, which is the UCI's tech re- uh, technical regulations. Um, not always, but a lot of the modifications are, are based on um, requests or submissions from the industry. You know, so uh, that's not always. That's absolutely not always true, and historically, that's not true. But these days, I believe that absolutely is true. You know, like the the allowance of disc brakes in racing that absolutely came through, you know, the likes of Shimano and Tram and uh, Specialized pushing the UCI to to move this rule forward. Um, and that weight limit being in place, I believe these days is, again, absolutely the big brand saying, you know, 6.8 kilos is low enough. Yeah, which uh, which is, it's worth noting that that is the opposite of, <clears throat> of how it used to be because... You know when the, when these regulations were first put in place, uh, they they all stem out of the Lugano Charter of 1997, which is basically like sort of the a bit of the founding document of the modern uh, UCI technical rulebook, and that was very much in response to some of the super bikes that we were seeing just prior to that. I mean, 96, for example, was a year of one of Indurain's, I believe, it was Pinarello, some of those crazy time trial bikes and things like that, and the UCI kind of responding with with rules that were very much intended to keep bikes looking like bikes and to prevent the sort of divergence between you know professional machines and and consumer bikes uh in particular in the time trial space but also just in in the road bike space and that has definitely sort of flipped on its head at this point where yeah it was originally it was it was originally those rules rules were designed to keep the industry in check basically and now the industry is in check and kind of happy about it and is pushing to continue to be kept in check that's a bit weird i feel like i could see in the next few years there's still a push for the limit to go down because i like the say the new tarmac for example i've built a handful of them and they've all been at or below the uci limit as a stock production bike and it seems like there's less focus on the arrow being everything and now there's kind of this push for a climbing bike that has a little bit of aero and that's like how do you differentiate yourself from others is you make it lighter and i could see that kind of push for weight going again yeah speaking of uci uh, regulations and aerodynamics there is a lot of talk in the industry about them updating the aerodynamic uh the rules around aerodynamics and uh tube shaping and the profile depth out there um and i think you know if if that rule were to change then we will see you know, aero bike development just go crazy again. And then, you know, that'll be a whole new category of bike. Um, and again, we'll see weights increase and speeds increase and the whole argument starts all over again. Oh my. Well, I guess just when we thought that we kind of had things figured out and all bikes were going to be kind of semi-aero and disc brake and tubeless. Uh, well, I, I guess clearly they're not, or maybe they are, or we, we just don't really know especially not among the pro ranks. So yeah, at this point, who the hell knows where things are going to end up? Inner tubes. The e-bike tour de France. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Is it a coincidence that uh, the fl- as you're saying, 28 miles per hour on that flat stage that they held is the same speed limit as your, as your e-bikes in the US? Oh, weird. <laughs> weird. Oh, I, oh, that's the start of a very, very bad conspiracy theory, Dave. Oh, man. Hmm. <laughs> Because mm. right. in Australia, well, like our, our pelotons race at 25 kilometers per hour. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Huh. <laughs> All right. You know, with that, I think that's a good place to stop because that could just 
you know, that's just going to lead a whole to a we don't very go down. ugly yeah. conversation. This, no, we're we are definitely not going. To go, we're definitely not going there. All right. Well, with that, it is time to wrap this up on a little conspiracy theory thing. So, thanks for listening. As always, please make sure to subscribe to Nerd Alert on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Leave us a review on iTunes because it makes this podcast more visible to others. And finally, please consider becoming a Velo Club member so that we can continue doing episodes like our epic rant session, seeing as how all of our advertisers promptly abandoned us after afterward. <laughs> so we definitely need another rant. We didn't get enough of them. We, we, we way, way more things to complain about. We have lots to complain about still. Yep. We still have lots to complain about, indeed. And, and rest assured, there will be another rant episode. We heard your feedback loud and clear. That will definitely not be the only one that we ever do. It, maybe we'll just make it like a quarterly thing. We'll see. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm into that. But either way, we will be back in two weeks with a regular episode. So come back and visit us soon. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Ciao.